listening to ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the podcast with the biggest balls of all, with your host, Kurt Squire. It's time to rock. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the podcast with the biggest balls of all. And speaking of balls, it's time to play ball with yet another extraordinary fan of this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band with none other than the Hall of Fame Major League pitcher himself, Trevor Hoffman. And for those of you out there listening who may not be baseball fans, Trevor Hoffman was the first player in Major League Baseball history to reach not only 500 saves, but eventually 600 saves mark, a milestone achieved during his 15-year career, predominantly with the San Diego Padres. And speaking of San Diego, we're here with Trevor in the Hoffman household in sunny San Diego, which just so happens to be one of my all-time favorite cities in the country. And if you're asking yourself, just how does Trevor's story fit into our ACDC podcast? Well, as you may know, our goal is to always throw our audience a curveball by showcasing the impact ACDC has had on our culture in so many different ways. And if you don't know his ACDC connection, you're about to find out. Trevor, thanks so much for having us here in your home. I'd like to start off by talking about your father, Ed who was a Marine, he fought in World War II, uh, came home and earned a living as a postal worker, but also employed by the California Angels as a singing usher. What in the world is a singing usher? Singing usher is a guy that comes into the pinch when uh, the, the regular person gets stuck in I-5 traffic trying to get to Anaheim Stadium. So um, dad was an usher at Anaheim Stadium, and they knew his background. He'd actually worked with Gene Autry on some stuff, and he being the owner at the time, uh, found out that Ed was, was a part of his staff, and whenever they got in a pinch, and now so they scheduled him at other times too, but uh, they asked him to sing the national anthem, and he'd go down in his usher suit, and so he was, he was known as the singing usher. That's a pretty fun gig. How impressionable was that on you as a kid? Just couldn't be more proud of... Uh, what dad was doing, always scared to death he was gonna forget the words, but uh, he, was a, he was a professional. It wasn't like he was just, you know, slapdicking it up there and trying to get it done. He was, you know, a, a former Marine, uh, patriot of, of his country and saying it with a lot of pride and conviction. And so it wasn't, it wasn't just a song, it was uh, more of a fabric of his, of his life in a sense that he was going out there and doing it for. So you were brought up here in California. Did that automatically make you an Angels fan? Um, I was. That was, the, again, the, the, the team we went and, and watched more than anything. We didn't go to, up to L.A. and watch the Dodgers. It was the Angel Games because that's where Dad worked. But, uh, uh, you know, also having an older brother that was about nine, nine and a half years older than I was and signed out of high school at 17. I'm seven years old and I got a brother that's going and playing in, in Fenway Park for the Boston Red nice. Sox. So I was kind of split. I was an East Coast Red Sox fan, West Coast Anaheim fan, and uh, stuck with blood when uh, those two hooked up. But uh, definitely both fan of both. Being from New England, I was an, and still am a diehard Red Sox fan. But curiously, I was also an L.A. Dodgers fan, mostly because of first baseman Steve Garvey, who eventually became a fellow San Diego Padre. So my allegiance to the Padres began when he joined the team back in 1983. So I could totally relate to that East Coast, West Coast thing. 
So you have one brother playing in the major leagues for the Red Sox. You also have another brother who, along with your father, combining his love for baseball and music, uh, all of these guys obviously influencing your career in baseball. But So which brother influenced you off the baseball diamond with their taste in music? Um, both of them. I have another brother that's 14 years older than I am. And so, uh, you know, their eight tracks would get laying around and I'd <laughs> stick those and listen to the Beach Boys and, and you know, try and get everything I could out of all the stuff that they were listening to. So I was, I was into classic rock way before I probably should have been and um, listening to it at the right time. But uh, no doubt ACDC was part of their repertoire. And, um, you know, when you, when you wanted to get amped up and get rocking, it was definitely ACDC that was put in. Me as well. I owe everything to my older brothers for bringing ACDC into our home growing up. Classic rock, the whole nine yards. Um, so, so mom and dad allowed this quote unquote devil worshiping band to be played within the Hoffman household. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily in the household, but it was uh, maybe in a in a cassette uh, in the car that uh, we, we'd hear it. So mom doesn't really know some of the lyrics, so we kind of stayed clear of that. <laughs> I don't even know if she still knows what Hell's Bells is all about with uh, the whole entrance I go through, but uh, I know she's kind of. A little prim and proper, a little worried about that stuff. We'll definitely be getting into that song here in a minute, and we're certainly glad your mom never had the chance to take ACDC away from you, or we might not be sitting here talking. So you're listening to ACDC via your older brother's super high-def 8-tracks. What was it about ACDC that you connected to the most? The energy, you know, and, and I had no clue of who they were, how how they performed anything it was just the sheer sound of of the music yeah and uh i was just kind of blown away that it just it you know woke you up you know it wasn't where you just kind of got led into something it was it was immediate and it was hard and it was in your face and it was uh let's get going and so that was kind of my first initial reaction was that there's no uh limping around when you when you put them on yeah i mean which is not unlike your pitching style and probably why you have the highest career strikeout rate of any reliever in Major League history. Um, there's no messing around. You come in, you do your job, fastball right down the middle. So mom never saw the Highway to Hell or, if you want blood, eight-track covers with Angus donning devil horns and blood spurting out of his mouth. A lot of it was kind of scratched off. So I don't know if mom <laughs> did kind of get to it and figured out what she wanted to do as far as, I'm not going to take it away, but I'm not going to let you see some of that stuff. I don't know, but... Uh, right. Yeah, I think the graphics, but you know, it was it was rock and roll. That's kind of what uh, all the artists were were really about. You know, you go to Ozzy and uh, Black Sabbath and all that stuff was pretty hardcore. You know, ACDC was right there with them as far as you know what we're we're here to rock and you know what get on board and scare people and scare people. <laughs> <laughs> Following in your family's footsteps, you signed to the minor leagues in the late '80s, selected by. The Cincinnati Reds, and eventually became a reliever for Cedar Rapids, Chattanooga, and Nashville. And one thing, one thing I love about minor league baseball are the team names. They had these ridiculously fun mascots like the Lugnuts and the Isotopes and the Biscuits. <laughs> Wasn't Chattanooga the Lookouts with a couple of big eyeballs? Yeah, they they didn't have that logo when I was when I went through there. Oh, so it was didn't? a long way back when I I rolled through Chattanooga, but. Yeah, I mean, people automatically associate a double-A affiliate with the Reds just by their hat. They probably have no idea who plays for them, if it's still the Reds affiliate or if it's even a double-A team. They just know that right. they see the eyes and they think it's the lookout. So, 
you know, branding's, branding's huge in anything you do, any industry. And um, you have the ability to not necessarily shock people, but just that recognition factor is very important. Yeah, and, and ACDC has got that down pat. Not only did they score one of the most recognizable, if not the most recognizable logos in history, but are also associated with iconic imagery like the schoolboy uniform, the cannons, and even more important to your particular story, the 2,000-pound cast bronze Hell's Bell. How important is all of that? Well, I think it adds to the theater. Um, you know, it's not just music. It's, it's something that you have the ability to associate with. And, you know, for the lack of a bell being dropped in the middle of the stadium when I come in, other than maybe on the big screen, you know, that's a show in itself of me just getting to come in out of a bullpen. So right. to have those props in a sense, when you get to go to their concert and here they come rolling out and, you know, the, the lights go and focus in on it. I mean, it's, it's theater at its best. And I guarantee, I mean, it, it gives me goosebumps when I throw open the, the, the bullpen door to come into the stadium. Yeah. I couldn't imagine being an artist and, and, and being Angus and, and playing in front of millions of people over the years and how charged you must get every time. Absolutely. Okay, so we're obviously creeping into how ACDC has significantly influenced your life. So we might as well get into it. In 1993, you're traded to the San Diego Padres. And by the latter half of that decade, you're just killing it. Cy Young Award, National League Most Valuable Player. You pass Raleigh Fingers in all-time saves. And then the fateful 1998 season rolls around, and you begin entering save situations in Padres' home games out of the bullpen to ACDC's Hell's Bells. It's playing over the whole stadium sound system and it becomes known as Trevor Time. Was that your idea, given your love for the band at an early age? Um, it was a little help from the entertainment department, to be, be honest with you. It was close to um, The Wild Thing and the Major League um, Baseball movie um, right? with Rich, um, Charlie Sheen. And so they were kind of looking for something to kind of, you know, wild thing when the doors would open up and kind of recreate that a little bit in San Diego. And one of the guys came down and goes, look, at I, I think, you know, I got a song by ACDC, Hell's Bells. Have you heard of it? I go, yeah. Because I think it'd be really cool. I go, yeah, go for it. Let's let's try it. And sure enough, let me cut you off right there, just for a second. So describe that first game in which you incorporated this classic ACDC song into the Trevor Hoffman lexicon. What was the reaction you received in the stadium filled with baseball fans? Describe that to us. It almost locked people up because the in, at Qualcomm or the Murph, Jack Murphy, you just come off of the mound that's right down the left field line, and you come rolling in, and so. As soon as I turned and started going towards the mound on the field, they hit the first bell and it was it was off. It's like it woke people up. Are we in church? What you know? What's going on? <laughs> and and then it just rolled into it, and they just it just it became just a, a euphoric applause as they caught on to the, the song and the, what was going on. And you know, it just it was immediate that they they gravitated to the song and, and you know developed it as one of their own um, theme songs out here. That's awesome. And during the rest of your Major League Baseball career, Hell's Bells becomes synonymous with the name Trevor Hoffman. Did you ever feel right then and there that this would be your signature song? No, no chance. <laughs> no chance. I think partly because you get so locked in on what you're doing and just the fact that, um, you know, as far as pitching and being associated with a legendary band like that, just to, to have the opportunity to do it is more than enough. But to be associated uh, as as 
I am to that song and to a, a tremendous group is, is completely an honor. And you, you never think it's going to go um, big time like it does in, in a baseball game like you know, when I get to come in. I mean, they're using it in football games now and guys are getting ready to kick off and and uh, you know before a third down you know getting trying to get the the, the defense riled up but telling there's nothing like it in sports when you when when they play the song before a guy comes in yeah let's touch upon that a bit trevor why is it that time and time again sporting venues stadiums arenas all call upon acdc to be the soundtrack for a sporting event well i think that you if you go across america and go into any gym if a guy's got headphones on he's probably listening to acdc to get amped up to, lift a little bit harder and so I think it allows the crowd to feel connected with the the team itself that's on the playing field and you can do a lot of things through music I mean you can imagine going to a sporting event and not having music no it, it would be I mean it's maybe partly going like the Wrigley Field they don't have all the the video screens and stuff and so you actually have to pay attention and baseball you can get away with it but I couldn't imagine not having music at a football game or basketball how they integrate it all and so to have I don't think it's any wonder why they have so many ACDC songs that they use at these events to just get people riled up. They want a frenzy out there. They want to use it as a home court advantage or a home field advantage, and, and no better way than to play the, the hard rock and stuff. Yeah, it makes you wonder if ACDC were around during the Roman Gladiator days, if they would be the house band at the Coliseum. <laughs> I think they're going to remake Gladiator, and they're gonna <laughs> uh, Russell Crowe's going to come in uh, to some new stuff. But yeah, you're right. They, they definitely get it riled up. Take us for a behind-the-scenes experience of right before you take the mound. You're warming up in the bullpen, the game's on the line, you know you're about to take the field when you hear the first tolling of ACDC's Hell's Bells. Describe how that song has influenced you. It's an immediate charge. You can be not feeling very good, you could be under the weather, you could be maybe overly hyped up, and it has a way of constantly bringing you back to where, right where you want to be every single time. And so it's... It's, it's, it's comforting to know that it's coming and it's comforting to know there's a routine that I get to go through. So I don't know if that's the same way as, you know, what the band goes through when they wait for the, you know, and they're set and yeah. that song's coming. Do they, do they kind of get certain feelings before it starts? Sure. But for myself, I know that the minute my foot hits the, you know, the ground running and that first bell hits, it's almost, it's almost a, a, a calm within the storm, you know, almost like the lyrics in the song, to be honest with you, Rolling Thunder. And, but you're, you're, I'm so locked into my routine that I don't really listen to words. I just I have my checkpoints. All right, I need to tow the rubber. I need to get about four pitches in here and, you know, get through the routine and then move into what I'm trying to do. But, uh, you know, it, I wish everybody had an opportunity to experience what I get to experience. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to play music in front of a bunch of people. And now that you've heard Hell's Bells a thousand times, what does that song really mean to you? It means get outs. <laughs> <laughs> it means don't screw it up. <laughs> They've set forth a pretty good song, don't screw this up. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I do not particularly absorb lyrics very well. Uh, I probably couldn't decipher what Hell's Bells even means without really studying it. So vocals to me are more like an instrument, so I'm, I'm all about the feel. Right, likewise. You have three sons. How do they feel about this song that's become such a part of your history? You know, they just think it's my song. <laughs> I have to let them know that, you know, it's Angus and Malcolm kind of, you know, we're part of this a lot longer than dad. So right. uh, I got to try and, you know, give credit where obviously credit's due and try and teach them a little bit. But uh, mom's a little still a little concerned about some of the lyrics. And, and so she's cool about playing the, the song. And 
but uh, singing kind of TNT's about as far as we've gone with uh, with the boys so so far. Nice. So for the folks listening at home, we're sitting here next to an awesome wall display of every single game-winning baseball that you've ever pitched and some incredible personal baseball memorabilia. But you've also brought out a couple of really cool items that have nothing to do with baseball, but one is this rare ACDC 17-CD German box set, as well as the stunning black Gibson SG guitar signed by none other than Angus Young himself. So your own personal Hall of Fame just became a little bit more Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. How did you get this? This was a gift given to me by Jennifer Moores, one of the uh, owners of the San Diego Padres, after I was, as it presented to me after I, uh, I believe, broke the 500 barrier in saves. Uh, it was a gift from her. And uh, memorabilia is such a weird thing to so many people. And for me, I don't, you know, I know you see a lot of stuff and you, you know, it's kind of my dig me hallway. My wife makes me kind of stick it in this part of the house so no one has to be abused by it. But for me, it has to be a connection. You have to, you know, know that person or be associated in some, you know, minute, large, grand scale way. And for me to have the opportunity to have a guitar signed by, by Angus, a legendary player like this, it just... And to be a part of what I do on the field and use their song and just so many, so many things for me that they'll never know, you know, that connection or how much it, it's, it's benefited me here in San Diego to have a piece of, 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 of his, you know, livelihood in a sense. I mean, this is his guitar it's signed by him. I just, I can't put into words how, how neat that is. Maybe this kind of helps you to relate how your fans might feel when you hand them Assigned baseball. It's kind of cool. Angus's weapon of choice is the guitar, and the baseball is yours. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, I'm sure it, you know, when you put it in your hand, the baseball in your hand just kind of feels comfortable, and you know every little nuance, every particular baseball. And I'm sure it's the same way when he picks this up. It's just, it's his partner. It's, it's comfortable. It's. Um, I love the fact that you don't have your signed Angus Young SG on display, too, but it's out where everyone can play it and actually touch it. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't want, I mean, you see everything behind glass and you, it's put up and, you know, you want it interactive. You want to not ruin things, but you want to pull it down and take a look at that. I write stuff on the baseballs yeah. now more so than I did, but it'll take me back to specifically that game. I know that one of these up here is my nephew's first opportunity to be a bat boy and it was up in LA. And I wrote that on there and it takes me right back to it. And so. You know, I would want people to come in and, you know, pick it up and look at it and ask a question or, you know, I, I think, I think I'm not worried about the value. The value is to me. It's not what a collector would say this guitar is worth. That's, that's, that's not what it's about. You know, I'd almost like to try and get them to personalize it to me so that, you know, there isn't that wonderment of, you know, you know, my jerseys, you know, people put them on eBay or whatnot. This, this isn't going to be on eBay, but, you know, you'd want to, you want that connection. I think it's cool to be able to pick it up and say, you know, I'm playing the exact same thing he's playing. Trevor, it just so happens that our previous episode featured U.S. military war hero and Black Hawk pilot Michael Durant, who is also forever connected to ACDC's Hell's Bells in a truly remarkable way. Mike was shot down during the Battle of Mogadishu, 
was the sole survivor, but he was captured, tortured, held hostage for over a week with a broken back, broken femur. He was shot at. It was just this horrible situation. Now, his unit knew that Mike was a huge ACDC fan, so they hooked up speakers to their helicopter and played Hell's Bells over the city. And they said, Mike, we won't leave here without you, in hopes that they would find him and keep his spirit alive. Did he, he obviously heard it. Mike definitely heard it, and it became a theme song for him to soldier on. Amazing story. Uh, definitely a 180 compared to your connection to Hell's Bells. But again, the whole reason behind ACDC Beyond the Thunder is to unveil this common bond that we all share. And that's the power of music and the human spirit. That's pretty cool. Now we'll just have to share your story with Mike. Yeah. But, you know, it's hard to compare, you know, what I've had the opportunity to be associated with versus someone who's fighting for our freedom and allowing us to go out and play the game that I love and people get to watch. I mean, the, that blanket of freedom is not free. And uh, it's men like Mike that uh, allow us to do what we get to do. Well said. You know, playing in San Diego, we always have the recruits up in the, you know, the right field pavilion up there. And uh, you stand and, and you know, acknowledge the fact that uh, you know, we're lucky. We're lucky that uh, there are people serving and you know, paying the ultimate sacrifice. You know? Absolutely. So why has ACDC stood the test of time? What makes them Hall of Famers? They're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the fact that they've gone through a couple generations and it still makes sense to people. Yeah. It still makes sense to kids. It brings them to music. I think it uh, speaks for itself, really. I think, uh, you know, there's no, no, no need to reinvent. It's, you know, the wheel doesn't need to be fixed. It, uh, it's perfect. So uh, there's always going to be a place for ACDC. What does a Hall of Fame of any kind mean to you, baseball or rock and roll? Well, I think it, what, it, what it really uh, it means, you know, for any, anybody in their particular field, you know, trying to do their thing, is a, there's validation. It validates that all the time and effort that you put forth um, something deeply important to you has been recognized as something important to somebody else and has made a difference or made an impact on whether they go forward, whether they change the direction that they want to go. Uh, they use it as motivation. And so, it, again, it goes back to validating your work ethic and what you've wanted to do. And uh, you're being honored in a way that uh, there's no other higher level. Nice. So we're getting into the home stretch here. Um, I wanted to talk about one of the highlights of your career, which is the mayor of San Diego presenting you with Trevor Hoffman Day when the Padres retired your number 51 jersey. You had Brian Johnson pay tribute to you in a video on the Jumbotron for, quote, rocking the mound. But then for the national anthem, they played a video of your father, Ed, singing the Star Spangled Banner at Fenway Park on opening day in 1981, when your brother Glenn was the starting shortstop for the Red Sox. And there have been so many moments for you, Trevor. The broken records, the awards, the fans, the amazing connection to Hell's Bells. What's been the most important part of this ride? I think, I think the, the connection you make with your, your home city is extremely important. I think it builds the, the foundation that you're trying to create. Yep. Um, to have the opportunity to, to be involved in individual accolades is fantastic, but uh, 
You know, it's all part of the ride and everybody has a little piece or a little cog in the wheel. And the fact that I've been able to do so much in one city up to this point is, is unbelievable. Um, it's unbelievable to be part of other people that have done great things. And so I think, again, it's one little piece of the jigsaw puzzle that is put into place. But, you know, through the individual stuff, the, the team goals always outweigh everything. And so, yeah, you know, the, the experience that maybe some of my teammates have in watching, you know, me come into a ball game is completely different for them versus another visiting team member, you know, that, that sort of thing. And so, uh, you know, everybody's kind of got a different approach to it. Everybody's got a different uh, feeling about it. And, you know, to be a part of a, a team and be a part of the right side has is, is got to be pretty cool. Well, Trevor, we can't thank you enough for inviting us here to share your story. And there just so happens to be one more quick story that my cohort, Greg Ferguson, thankfully asked while we were packing up to go that we would be doing our listeners a disservice if we did not include, which involves you meeting up with ACDC while they came through San Diego while on tour. They came through, and I want to say after the 98 season had started, <clears throat> sometime either that next year, 99 or 2000, played at the sports arena. And I had a jersey made up, Padres 51, and on the back it did Hell's Bells instead of Hoffman. And I got a chance to go in, went through four different checkpoints in the archives of the uh, sports arena, and got a chance to go in and meet him and uh, present Angus that jersey. And he actually came out on stage for Hell's Bells wearing the jersey. Wow, I've never heard that story. So Angus actually wore your custom jersey on stage during Hell's Bells, the same song that's synonymous with your name. It was, it was awesome. So talk about the interaction you had with the boys backstage. Yeah, I was um, obviously very nervous. Um, didn't know if they knew anything about baseball or what the significance was for me in meeting them and why this jersey. And someone had said that they'd been prepped a little bit as far as, you know, you're in San Diego and this guy goes out one of your songs and, you know, right. he'd like to come meet you or whatever. But they were, couldn't have been nicer. You know, it was close to game time, so I think they were getting in their mode. It was definitely full of smoke. I mean, they liked their, <laughs> their smags, right. which is cool, but... Uh, um, it was just a brief encounter. It was, again, saying thank you. I appreciate you letting me use your song. I don't know if you know you have to, or I know there's other artists that don't appreciate sure. um, that connection with some of them. But uh, said, so I hear you're doing good things with our song. <laughs> it was pretty. It was you know simple and, and, and pretty pretty special. I love the fact that you referenced their concert as game time. I mean, the guy goes out. Angus goes out and rocks for two hours straight. You know, he's got, he doesn't just flip a switch, you know? Yeah, and, and hopefully it showed them how you've benefited from their music. Yeah, we've, uh, we've all benefited uh, from their music. Okay, Trevor, so it's the bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded, full count, and your final question is, if you had to describe ACDC in one word, if you can, what would it be? Thank you. Thank you. ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Brand ambassador and marketing guru, Gino Bona. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Gino Bona, Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast, all rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot. Nanu Nanu.